Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. This is episode number 63. I'm going to do a solo podcast today. I'm a little bit out of practice Um especially solo podcasting, um, because I didn't have a podcast last week, as you should have noticed, uh, because you love the podcast and you're always watching out for a new episode every week. But uh, So sorry about that. We didn't have one last week. Week before, I had one with Soshi. Um, we recorded that in Sydney. And then the week before that, I don't know, we probably had something else. Maybe we had a solo podcast. So I'm kind of a mix of small bit jet lagged as we're just back from our, our Australian workshop tour. And also just a little bit, feel like a bit rusty, to be honest. Solo podcasts are the hardest by far to do, much harder than interviewing a guest, I think. Um, Presuming that the guest is like decent, which our guests are decent, I can imagine trying to interview a guest that you're just not vibing with that's probably quite tricky as well. But solo, it's I, I, I actually still feel like solo podcasts are a bit harder. But actually really important, I should say, because social media, like I'm going to do a solo podcast today. I'm going to answer a couple of questions. One is from Petra, which is around distal tension and how can it relieve proximal tension? Um, she asked that in our DGR Interactive Facebook group. So I'm going to kind of dig into that. I'll read out the full question properly, but like distal versus proximal, this type of idea and how tension i'm not going to use tension um petra used the word tension i'll try and i'll just dig into that a bit more and then the other one is how important do you think it is to understand the patterns of asymmetry in the human body and i'll i'll try and answer that question as well so there's there's the two questions um and as you know i don't really i don't rehearse i just pick questions that i'm interested in answering and obviously i feel like i can give some kind of a coherent answer to answer to or I wouldn't actually answer them in the first place but uh whether it ends up coming across coherent or not I have no idea um because you could ask some you could ask me or any of anyone listening like you could ask someone a question and each day they might answer it a little bit differently so who, who knows what way it will come out today but in general I feel like these answering these questions and doing these solo podcasts are actually like of course they're for the people listening of course i want them to be helpful for the people listening of course i want you to listen to our content and watch our content so you buy stuff from us uh that's important that's really important to me but i get as much value as anyone does because i actually have to answer the question and every time then i finish the podcast i end up like going f- i just walk away afterwards and i'm much more clear around my thoughts on the subject or i'm more clear around actually you have no coherent thoughts on that subject or you actually just don't really know how to articulate your thoughts on that subject. So those are that's important information for me. And talk, just talking it out helps a ton. And doing that on Instagram or social media does that a lot as well. It's really, really helpful. That's why it's it's kind of it's a little bit laughable to me when you notice know, the 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 people who are saying, oh, I'm a coach. I'm not an influencer. I don't want to be an influencer. I'm like, but do you not want to influence your clients to get a, do you not want to be a positive influence on your clients? Do you not want to influence them to complete certain actions in a, in a, in a way that will, that will elicit positive results for them? Uh, of course you do do you not and actually not even your clients do you not want to positively or do you not want to influence people in a certain way that gets them to become your clients so then you can have a positive impact on your on their life yes you do so you do want to be an influencer and if you want to be an influencer that means you need to have coherent thoughts that you can articulate well and actually describe using language um a good variety of language depending on the person you're talking to where you can try and describe uh emotions and their fears and their their goals and you can try and break them down and help them understand them a bit better and help them understand how you can help them get to those goals uh yeah how how you can help people get to those goals so of course you want to be an influencer and of course you want to be able to articulate your ideas better and so 
social media and podcasting that's why i encourage people to try it because they're the people are always asked people are always thinking about like okay i have to do a post and after i do 100 posts maybe i can sell something and like so i'm putting in all this work and i only get something back if someone buys something in a year's time and it's a little bit of a short-sighted way of looking at it um because actually, as you do the post, you should be getting something from it. If you just opened your eyes, you would realize I am learning more about this topic as I do it. I'm learning how I think about this topic and I'm learning how I can articulate this topic better. So I think that is really important. But I am gone completely on a tangent there, completely away from anything that I actually wanted to talk about. So that's my welcome back into podcasting. Um, the Australian trip went really, really well. We had a hundred, a mix of a hundred movement professionals there. So like coaches and therapists, basically that's who the, that's who the, uh, actually there was a few people who aren't a coach or therapist who's just really interested in movement, but the workshops in general are designed for movement professionals, obviously kind of like this podcast. But alongside that, we'll have people who are thinking about maybe someday they want to be a coach or a therapist or actually, I don't want to be a coach or a therapist, but I just love learning about movement. So those types of people are more than welcome as well. But for people like Gen Pop or something who I just want to get a bit stronger, like, yeah, you did stuff in the workshop will teach you that. But you can get that from one of the people that come to the workshop. You can go to one of those coaches rather than coming to the workshop directly yourself because you should be super interested in movement and um, the, th- the the theory and the practical side. And we just tried our best to marry both together so that you enter into clinic or your gym or your coaching or whatever it is on Monday morning and you're a better coach with more clarity around why you're doing the things you're doing. Um, and you don't have to change all of your methods or anything like that. We just give you the underlying principles. And naturally, you'll start to understand why some of the things you're doing already work and why some of the things maybe you're doing don't work so well or why they work with one person and not with the other. So that's that's what we are going to try and help you understand. And also, will help you love your job again. That's really important. People walk away and they're buzzing. They're excited to get to work because they have clarity. They know what they want to do. They know who they want to do it with. They should be enjoying their job for a long time, helping a lot of people, making some really good money along the way and enjoying their life. So that's what we want to um that's what we want to help people do with our workshops. So um we yeah, so hundred hundred is a lot. Like when I was thinking about it afterwards, like hundred people, a hundred coaches and therapists just in two cities. Now, obviously, people came, there was there was 10 or 11 countries altogether. Um, but like just in two cities, like we 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 worked with a hundred coaches and therapists who came for a full weekend workshop. That's a lot if you think about the amount of people that they're going to go on and help, and also like they're going to start to influence their peers and their colleagues and their people who are the coaches and therapists that they know as well. So like that's um I think that's a lot, and you don't you can't underestimate the compound effect, the snowballing effect of helping that many people. So workshops went really well. Um, actually I said at the start, I had jet lag. I actually don't have almost any jet lag and I'm going to thank Dinny, one of my clients for that. I think he gave us melatonin. Uh, so we took that going and then coming back and I've been taking it every night for the last three or four nights since I got back. And just the first day when I got back, I was like asleep on the couch all day and slept all night and stuff. And then after that, I've been like straight back into my routine, which has been, crazy because usually jet lag hits me pretty bad so that's uh that's been really important that's been sorry not important yeah important that's been really good um the workshops in general i think they were very strong groups at them i really do i think really strong groups and i think there are strongest groups that we've had at them so far if you've already come to a workshop don't despair it's not that i mean that these people are smart or are everyone always wants to think like in ireland you go to a workshop and they always think like oh over in america they have the coaches are amazing like they are they're working with all these athletes and stuff and in australia they must be this and blah 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 and in america everyone thinks that the people in america are shit and maybe in england are amazing it's not it's not the case just in general education is the industry is like 
is just a mess in general if we're if we're being honest um and the people who go to workshops are just the people who want to get better they even if like you or i think that that workshop doesn't look like it's amazing if they're consistently putting themselves in a room to try and learn they're already in the top like one or two percent because 98 percent of the, the industry could not give a shit about getting better um as a coach or a therapist themselves they just think they have all the answers and that's it so um so yeah no but these these groups were very strong and the reason i think that is because i think that they're just getting as we go along they're getting more familiar with the work that we're teaching they're starting to understand they're starting to watch things on the membership site they've done all the programs like even now in these workshops uh probably 70 percent of the people at the workshops had got mm, let's say 60 had got the foot and achilles program so like they're starting to become more familiar with the concepts behind it and then it's just up to me to like drive them home and it would be difficult for people who haven't done any of the programs or like seen any of the membership site to come not because i'm trying to make it complex just because actually it's the opposite but just because having a basis of understanding of some of the things that we're talking about is important. Like it is, let's be honest. And um, it, it is really important. So, um, so yeah, I just mean that these groups are getting stronger because people are getting, people are hungry to learn and they've already tried to learn all they can from the programs and the new program and the membership site and stuff like that. So that was, that's really cool for me to see. And that's one thing that I've, that's I, I I know I've spoken about this before, but that's one reason I've I've not done the mentorship up to this point. Up to this point is like I've been like, where do I even start teaching people this stuff? Because even at the work weekend workshop, it's only a lower limb workshop, and we still don't have enough time to get through even half the things that I want to teach people. Literally, we get through we get through a lot of like really important things, but. I could have a I could have a seven day lower limb workshop where we can really like keep going and going and going. So if you're starting with a mentorship type of type of content where you're doing eight weeks, John, I'm just doing a podcast. I'm on. Sorry, everyone. No, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. I'll see. I'll come into you in a bit. Um. So if you're starting with a mentorship, sorry, but. <laughs> Uh, if you're starting with a mentorship where you do like eight weeks and no one has done any of the content, they don't know anything, like it's just going to be, they're going to be absolutely wowed with some of the material. Like the first time they do a foam roller bridge, they're going to be like, holy shit. But I don't want people to be like, holy shit, this is a foam roller bridge. I want people to be like, I know a foam roller bridge, but tell me like, what, why you might use it with this person versus that person? Why you might be more plantar flex versus dorsiflex versus IR? What foot contacts do you want? Those are the questions that I want people coming with. Not, oh my God, this is a foam roller bridge. I'm going to use this with every client ever. Okay. So that's that's how I think about that. Um, so it's all about like the principles and um, having fun, I suppose, as well. So with regards to my hair coach, if some of you might have seen that online, a lot of people I knew, I wanted to do address this on the podcast because a lot of people were asking, like, why didn't you just tell him that you didn't like why, while he was going through it? You didn't like the haircut. I'm like, you have to understand Irish people would never say that. You would always say that looks great. And then you would leave and then you would you would bitch about it for two weeks after that. So that's 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 not an option telling someone you didn't like it wasn't or like change this or that that's not an option um and i didn't even want to post it on instagram funnily enough in case for some reason that guy was following me or no i didn't i knew he didn't he didn't recognize me so in case like someone knew that one like one of the other barbers in there saw me or recognized me or something like that something of this effect and said to him is that the guy's that is that the guy's hair that you cut so i was like so worried about his feelings that uh i, I almost wasn't even going to post it up on instagram but uh yeah i'm starting to grow into my head again thankfully so that was the that was the workshop so i also did a, a business workshop with jamie smith in melbourne so that was really fun that was kind of my first I've done private like mentoring with people on that a, a lot of that to be honest but that was my first time presenting as a group I think uh more on the businessy side of things I spoke a lot about content creation 
um again like principles behind it the strategies that you need to use not just the tactics everyone is obsessed with talking about tactics change camera angle every two or three seconds uh what time of the day should i post all that stuff is fine what actually matters is the strategies behind it so that's what we spoke about or i spoke about and jamie spoke about more about like uh the different tiers of products that you can sell and the different uh just kind of more higher level thinking around like marketing cost uh, client retention uh stuff like that so it was i think the two two talks complemented each other really really well and i will link uh if you want to watch them we we got a professional videographer to record them so i will link the the i'll put the link in the show notes to to buy that and i think there's probably around two and a half or three hours of content there and if you're trying to grow an online business like what what better place to what play, if if you're not willing to invest a little just a small bit of money into into it to accelerate your journey and journey and make it better then do you really want to grow an online business that's the question i would ask um so okay let's try and answer quest sorry let's try and answer petra sorry petra uh petra's question that's what i was going to say quetra petra's question around um how can distal tension how distal tension can relieve proximal tension i came across these concepts in lbb and ubb and it was a longer question that than that but that's just what i scribbled down and let's try and let's try and break it down so i'm going to take away the words tension and i also don't want people to start to think about distal mobility or stability because that's usually what people talk about distal proximal stability for distal mobility distal stability for proximal mobility things like this that is just absolutely a, a dog shit concept that needs to go um we need we have joints and where you have joints you have movement and the joints need to be both mobile and stable and stable is a tricky one to actually even define to be honest but you just need to be strong enough around the joints you need to be mobile enough around the joints uh, you need to have movement there and you need to be able to not it's not it's not just strong and mobile but it's having the coordination and the intra and intermuscular coordination around the joints and also there's obviously reflexes and there's fascia and there's a brain and a nervous system and neuroanatomy involved so don't please please don't think about proximal some people will be thinking stability versus mobility there's so much more going on than just those words and those words don't even make sense when you start to talk about proximal stability distal mobility you just want movement where you want movement which is at the joints okay um so distal tension can re but how can distal tension relieve proximal tension that's 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 a more interesting concept to start to mull over so for example what someone might say so for example what petra might mean there is if i have a lot of tension in my lower back how can building tension distally, which might mean through the hand or through the foot, actually help relieve that tension around my lower back? So tension isn't a bad word to use in terms of building tension, um, but we can try and break it down a little bit more than just kind of tension starts to be a little bit vague. So I'll give you I'll give you a, a, an example and I'll see where that might lead me to. So let's say you're starting plyometrics with someone. Just take a, a simple little pogo jump or pogo hop or whatever you want to call it, okay? So you're going to do a simple pogo. And this person hasn't done any type of plyometric movements in, in years, years and years and years, um, or in a while. What, what they will do is they will look down at their feet because they don't have good awareness of where their feet are often. They don't have good awareness of when they leave the floor, like the timing involved, when am I going to come back to the floor? Or what's my foot going to do when it hits the floor? What should I be doing? Where even is the floor? All of these things. Now, these aren't like conscious questions. They're more questions that are happening underneath the hood. They don't know they're asking them questions, but by virtue of them needing to always look down, that's what they're asking themselves. And those are the questions that they're trying to answer for themselves. So I often say to people in a, in our our workshops in particular i'm talking about your eyes where your eyes are is so important for all of our drills to be honest really really important 
And instead of queuing chest up and chest down, I'll often cue vision instead, because that will help organize the rest of the body much better than like this chest up cue, which really just messes up a lot of things. To be honest, it just causes a lot of compression a lot of the time. So I'll cue the eyes a lot of the time. And what you'll see with the people in workshops, for example, the reason I just mentioned workshops is you'll be able to see 40 people doing a pogo hop or 30 people doing pogos at the same time. So it's a really nice example of like being able to contrast the differences and the people that are staring at their feet all the time, you can, you know, that they're not usually doing your plyometrics, regardless of how bouncy they work. They, they are, let's take away like the bounciness or the fluidity of the movement. If you just looked around and saw the people looking at the floor while they're doing them, you can presume that those are the people that aren't usually doing their plyometrics because they don't trust the ability of the distal tissues to manage the forces coming into their body. So they don't trust their foot. They're, they're di distally, they just don't trust themselves to handle the collision. Okay. And that's why they have to look down because they're trying to make it more conscious. They're trying to make it more, um, yeah, conscious is the word I'm going to use. They're trying to, they're trying to outthink it. And you can't really, especially with a plyometric, like you can't outthink a plyometric movement. You have, you can't outcoach it. You can't outcue it. You have to experience it and you have to build trust. And it's a very coordinated movement. So that's one good way of thinking of it is that is that if you don't have the ability to manage the forces coming into the body from distal to proximal, then you're going to probably brace everywhere in your body. Um, so these people will be bracing at their feet, at their calves, at their knees, at their hips, at their spine. They'll be squeezing their hands. They'll be bracing everywhere. And I don't mean in any good way in a, like in a, in a way that's trying to lock down movement, they'll brace everywhere. Okay. Versus the people who are, who know like this isn't a maximal jump for me. I can, man I can manage this. I can handle this. They don't need to look down. They will look forward. They'll look around. They'll be able to talk to you while they're doing it. Um, and they've just got it. They've got it under control distally around the feet, around everywhere in their body. They have it under control. Their arms are more relaxed. Their neck is more relaxed. So that's a, like an, an an overarching type of concept to think about. But let's say let's let's make it a little bit small, not overarching. That's like a in, in a, a speed of movement. That's a way to think of that. Let's take it in a way that someone is going to bend down and pick up a, a light box off of the floor. People who are a bit. People who don't really center well over their feet, let's say, they don't really pressurize the floor very well with their midfoot because that's being centered over our feet. What they will do is they'll bend down either in like a toe touch type of movement, like a forward bend or more of a squatty one or in a kind of somewhere in between. They will take a breath and they will they will brace like this and they're trying to create tension proximally and stiffen up their spine because they don't really trust the ability for their legs to manage the forces and, and push through the floor. They don't know they don't trust it, but again, it's more of a subconscious or an unconscious thing. They just take that. And that's something that you should definitely watch out for in your assessments as well, particularly with your lower back or middle back or upper back pain or tension type of people. So that's another example. Um, another example that I like to use is let's say you're a rugby player or let's say that you are not, not a rugby player, but you're, yeah, you're a rugby player and you are going to be running or any type of like contact sport and you need to use your upper limb. You need to use your hand and your arm and your, your upper limb and your upper body because someone is running at you. Let's say I have the ball and someone is running at me and they're going to try and tackle me and I want to hand them off, give them a stiff arm in the chest. And if I can't create tension and co-contractions distally, so I can't get my wrist to stiffen up, my hand to stiffen up a bit, my elbow to stiffen up, my shoulder to stiffen up, then when I try and stiff arm someone, my wrist is going to flex or extend whatever way my elbow is going to flex or extend. It might like hyperextend, but let's just say flexion in the, in this regard, things are going to flex. Um, so particularly let's just say my elbow, my elbow, I can't keep my elbow stiff. So my elbow is going to flex and that force is going to come straight into my body. And what are you going to, what are you going to do then? You're actually going to 
you're going to brace like this completely. Whereas you could stay nice and fluid and continue sprinting and just give a, you would probably give a small like little brace as you, as you handed them off in the chest. But if you, if you weren't able to keep a stiff arm and hand them off, then that elbow is going to flex and they're in, they're going to hit your body. So now you're all the muscles around your spine are going to have to brace much, much more. So that's the same with the plyometric. If you can't actually stiffen up at the right time and land in the right place, then you're going to brace in your upper body a lot more around your spine, around your shoulders, around your pelvis. Everything is just going to brace way more and not not in a good way. So what we can start to teach people is to create tension distally and be more centered distally, I would say, especially around the feet. So this is, and this is, a, I'm hesitant to say this because it could open up a can of worms, but a can of worms. But for example, if you look at yogis who have done a lot of stretching, they're not grounded, Right. If you look at like Chinese martial arts, Taoist arts, the, a, a huge concept and principle that they will talk about is grounding, 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 grounding. They're obsessed with grounding. There's heaven and earth. There's two extremes. You want to be maybe you want to have like a, a non-spiritual, uh, sorry, a spiritual, like non-religious connection with the world it's not about religion it's about having a connection with the world around you and this kind of understanding that we're all kind of one but they don't let themselves get carried away with that idea they still stay grounded and in the moment and with with the art they're not floating around in the clouds whereas when you think about yogis traditionally at least a lot of it is not all this new styles of yoga but like a lot of it was like stretching all the tension out of my body that's what if you read some of the old texts and stuff they basically wanted to like just their spirit to kind of fly away and i know i'm bastardizing a bit but like who cares but like this is this this is the idea that i got from it i'm going to stretch the life out of every single part of my body so all the tension is gone and guess what all yogis who actually take that route they end up with unbelievable amounts of tension around their um muscles around their spine and their neck they have the tensest necks they also have bunions and bunions are a perfect example uh big bunions like not just like bunions that have developed from kind of playing sports but bunions that are like but feet that are so stiff and bunions that like just are really sore type of bunions not just like an adaptation to wearing a sports shoe type of thing their feet are so stiff and they cannot get on their midfoot and they cannot pronate their foot and they cannot push into the ground so they have so much tension um like around the middle of their body and i won't just say proximally in this instance like i will just say I will just say they can't create tension around their legs. They have stretched their leg muscles to oblivion. They can't get on their midfoot. They can't pronate their foot. Pronation is how we push through the floor. That's how we build tension. When we get into like a max propulsive position in the gait cycle, that's how we push through the floor. And yogis just like cannot get into mid stance and cannot get in, cannot get into pronation and max propulsion and push through the floor. That's why the bunion is there. Um, it's just all open because they couldn't open any other part of the foot. So they can't pressurize their feet and their body just ends up basically uh, like from the pelvis up. They have to, they have so much tension in their bodies. This is why you can't ever trust a yogi who says, I will like, a yo I mean, I, I, I want to be careful because I know some people listening are yogis and I don't mean, I mean, certain types of yogis. You can't trust some one of them who's just obsessed with stretching and obsessed with the end range poses that they show off to say, I will make you more flexible. Because if you get a yogi like that and put them who can show you these splits and these big movements and you lie them on the table and you try to actually look at lateral flexion of their neck, they cannot move their neck. They can't laterally flex and they can't rotate. They also cannot adduct their hips. So um, and they can't, they can't flex their thoracic spines. So that isn't anyone's, that isn't my idea of flexibility. Certainly that is hyper mobility in certain areas of your body and other areas are going to make up for it. And 
to make up for that, it's going to, your body is just going to completely grip. It's going to try and create as much, and I will use the word stability, which I don't really like to use. It's going to try and create as much stability as possible in certain areas. And be, when your feet can't feel the ground and can't ground, that's why the Chinese martial arts mar- artists and stuff, the Taoist artists, the Taoist arts, a lot of those people move well for years and years and years and they keep practicing and keep doing their practice for years and years and years. Whereas a lot of the yogis who keep teaching. So the Taoist artists, like they keep moving better and better and better because it's about building strength, being grounded, uh, nice breaths and stuff. A lot of the yogis who keep going more and more down the route of their, of their practice. It means hip replacements. It means necks that can't rotate. It means spines that are completely locked up. So, and again, that's just a certain type of yoga and a certain type of yogi, which hopefully we don't have any of those types necessarily listening to our podcast because they would have realized by now that that is not the way to help people move better and feel better. It's a very short-term solution. And if you keep stretching the life out of people in that way, in that way specifically, you're you're going to mess people up so hopefully that helps you understand that like if you can't actually ground into the floor your body is going to have to create a lot of tension elsewhere so this is why i talk about pronation so not much because that's mid stance that's when we can actually get our body weight on top of one leg and when i get my body weight on top of one leg that's compression on one side of the body. So I'm going to get into mid stance on the left. That's compression everywhere on the left side. My whole body is compressing into my foot and my foot is compressing into the floor. So what does that mean on the right side of my body? It means expansion. It means decompression. So the gait cycle is a, is a, is a con- constant alternation and reciprocation of compression on one side decompression on the other or compression on one side expansion on the other that's what is happening on side to side whereas if you can never if you've lost your frontal plane if you can't ever get onto your midfoot and pronate your foot and get into mid stance then you're seeing someone who can't actually compress on one side and then the other side which means they can't decompress on one side and then the other side and they compress everywhere all of the time okay so that's uh that's an example that's kind of an i feel like i haven't done a great job again it's the getting back into the podcasting thing i feel like i haven't done a great job and i probably have done better jobs at explaining like how distal tension can relieve proximal tension but if you don't have an ability to manage forces coming into the body through the foot and through the hand then that rugby player example of course i'm going to have to brace a lot more around the middle of my body around my rib cage and my pelvis because and my neck of course because that's where our important structures are our important structures are in my in my skull in my thorax in my pelvis to me at least there's where my important things are yes my hands and my feet are really important to me like personally i'd love to be able to walk around and run around and grip things and all of these things of course i would but to my brain and my body my structure is set up in a certain way where actually there's a lot of there's a lot of protection around the the things inside my body around the middle of my body so my body is designed to protect those in do a good job at actually doing things distally through my hands, through my elbows, through my shoulders, through my feet, through my knees, through my hips, then of course, forces are going to start to come up and into my body. And you have no choice. It's not a conscious thing. Your body's going to brace as much as it can around your other abdominals, around your core muscles, around your back muscles. It has no choice. It's going to, it's going to lock up movement there because it doesn't, your, your nervous system maybe doesn't trust even though a nervous system can't trust it, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm going to use the word trust. It doesn't trust the ability to, for, of you, for you to manage the forces coming in through your hands and your feet, because that's how you interact with the world. So a good practical example or practical implementation is with lower back, with lower back rehab, um, it's not like not, not injury necessarily, but like someone who's just always tense in their lower back. That the reason that I and I said this in the workshop to some people one of the weekends where like workshop, but if you 
at rehab. It's 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 getting the feet moving well. It's loading really well into your feet, into your hips. It's opening up movement. It's freeing up your pelvis. It's starting to do plyometrics. And if you can do all of that stuff, then a lot of the time your lower back tension, because tension is the word that Petra uses, used, um, starts to go away. Of course it does, because you freed up so much movement distally, distal of that. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, I think, I think that's a good, hopefully a decent answer, but definitely not my best answer. And I think it's less, it's less important for the upper limb than the lower limb. So you'll see me, you'll see a lot of people doing upper limb plyometrics. And if you look at my page a few years ago, or like plyometrics, quote unquote, they might not technically be plyometrics. But if you look at my page a good few years ago, I had quite a few variations that are actually getting quite popular now. Um, and, and a lot of people are using them now. And actually, I'm using them less than I once did, because I actually think the ability for the, to create distal tension, obviously, your grip and stuff and your hands are so important. But I more so think about with upper limb rehab and neck rehab, uh, cleaning up the movement of the rib cage and the scap and the shoulder. I think that's more much more important. Whereas in lower limb rehab, the feet are I, I five or six years ago, I was so much like feet are so important. And now I'm even more so that feet are so important. So important. You have to clean up the feet. You have to help people to pronate and supinate, load into their midfoot, push through the floor, um, build up to their plyometrics. All these things are so important. Whereas I'm le- I less think that about the hands, obviously, because every single footstep is a collision with the floor for your feet. But it's so important that you're you're nice and fluid up top. So uh, hopefully um, that's not to say like in upper body basics, you will see and you will see me coaching pl- push ups and stuff where we build a lot of tension through the hands. So that's a, definitely a part of upper limb rehab, but it's not as big a part as it would be for lower limb rehab and building tension through the feet. OK, so there's two parts to like build. That's why I don't want to just use the word tension because there's two parts to building. There's to build tension, you would you would want to build tension through more of the midfoot. That's where you're going to push from. Somewhere between the midfoot and the forefoot, that's where you're going to push from, depending on the position that you're in. Uh, so a lot of people are talking about getting people to access their heels. Heel contact is important, but you shouldn't be pushing from there. But people are trying to get heel contact and teach people to push through their heels. And that's a waste of time. So the heel contact is just about re-educating the journey from the heel to the midfoot to max propulsion from there. Uh, so you're you're teaching people to collect their movement on the way and then push from there. So that's why I don't want to just use the word tension because tension is about is about like just the push, whereas this is about pressurizing the feet and then building tension when you're in the right part. So uh, I think I need to move on from this now. So hopefully that was helpful, but maybe I need to answer that uh, that's a perfect example of me not being clear enough or at least not having the right headspace today to answer that. So the second question then is how important do you think it is to understand the problems of asymmetry? Oh no, sorry. The patterns of asymmetry, important not to say problems in the human body. Um, it's a good question. So it's important to understand the patterns of asymmetry in the human body, body the common patterns, how we're all biased into our right side or we're all, most of us are biased towards our right sides um, or at least were at some stage in our development. And then for whatever reason, maybe we're pushed away from that, but we all are inherently biased with regards to our organs and our, um, our setup of our body is, is pushing us towards our right side or some parts of us to our right side. But I think the question is either incomplete or kind of leaves me wondering around your understanding of this a little bit. Um, And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just want to make sure I'm clear around this because the patterns of asymmetry in the human body, yes, it's important to understand the patterns of asymmetry and the patterns of movement. But what we're really looking at or what you really need to understand and think about if you're thinking about pattern is the word that you use is take away the word asymmetry for a moment and think about the word pattern that you used. And yes, we're looking at patterns of movement, but we're looking at neural behavior and you're looking at functional cortical dominance. That That's what you're looking at when you think of the word pattern. 
And you can take away, if you understand that you're thinking about neurobehavior, functional cortical dominance, you can take away the word asymmetry, actually. And you can start to use, think of those words with regards to patterns, because yes, a lot more people will have a more supinated right foot. Okay. Yes, a lot more people will have more compression around the right lateral rib cage and maybe the right chest wall, maybe. Um, at least lateral rib cage, definitely, and more right, more supinated right foot. Okay, yes. So patterns of movement and and these are the common asymmetries that we start to see. But I think the more I go along, I think the more the less important it is for people to understand these common asymmetries and the more important i think it is to understand the word patterns in general so you're looking at patterns of movement in your clients and your job is to recognize those patterns of movements but your job is also to recognize those uh not those but patterns of thought and patterns of lifestyle and then to start to work on breaking those patterns or at least disrupting some of those patterns so when you use the word pattern, it's more it's more important, I think, to start to think about the word pattern with regards to cortical dominance rather than just pure asymmetry in terms of movement patterns. So movement patterns are important. Lifestyle patterns are important. Relationship patterns are important. Thought patterns are important. OK, really important. So this is why this is why. There's a few ways I can go about this, but this is why travel is important, I think, because what travel does is, and I, the reason I bring up travel is just because obviously we were just traveling and I had this thought when I was traveling, but travel breaks your patterns like nothing else. It takes you out of your environment. It takes you out of the food you eat every day, the bed you sleep in, the people that you meet, um, your routine, your work life. It takes it breaks you out completely of your patterns. This the place that you're in every day. Travel does that. And a lot of people come back from travel with clar with a bit of clarity. And they talk about like, oh, the rest did me good. And of course it did. Um, the the like just being able to relax did me good and of course it did but the clarity comes from yeah it does come from headspace and that is partly of partly around breaking the pattern but it comes from just waking you up and getting you out of the the thing that you're doing every single day all day every day that you do the same thing you have the same thought when you wake up you stand on your leg you you make your coffee you use your same hand it it breaks you out of all of that and that's what gives you clarity to have new fresh ideas and fresh thoughts come into your mind and um yeah fresh ideas and fresh thoughts so i i i really would love for you people to start to think of the patterns not with regards to just asymmetry in the human body but with like patterns of how we think and yeah mostly mostly how we think I think that's the most important thing. And that's what I noticed when I was traveling. It just gives me, it just gives me a bit of clarity because it just gets me out of this room that I'm in. It gets me out of, okay, when I wake up, here's what I do. Hi everyone, Kira here with a really quick reminder about our brand new Foot and Achilles program. It has four phases worth of lower leg training that David uses with all of our clients. He hasn't shared this work publicly before, so most of it may be new to you, but I think you're going to love it. We've 850 people already doing the program and the feedback has been incredible so far. I really think it's our best one yet and we're very proud of it. So go and check it out in the show notes and we'll see you there. So that's why, like in our in our assessment for example i was trying to say to people so in in the workshop again and i know i'm talking a lot about the workshop and i, I don't mean to try and i'm not doing it to convince you to come to the workshop i'm just using it as a reference point because that's what's fresher in my mind but like in our workshops i'm talking about assessments and we have very simple assessments but we're able to pick up a ton of information about people what they're doing in their assessments so so we can pick up so much information in a very short amount of time in our assessments. And I, I understand that it's going to be hard and frustrating for some of the coaches and therapists in the beginning because 
they have to concentrate quite hard to start to see the things. And they're like, their question inevitably comes to me like, okay, when I say like, okay, in a toe touch, here's the four or five things that you're looking out for. And they will ask like, okay, which one are you looking for first? Which one are you looking for second? Like how many reps do you use so that you can get all of this information? And honestly, my answer is like one, I can just kind of see it because I'm seeing the same patterns over and over again in the like standing rotation. I'm seeing if someone, I know that in my mind, I know that if someone doesn't adduct on the side that they rotate to, they're not internally rotating that hip. And what that means is even if it looks like, let's say they're rotating their body to the left and they don't adduct on the left side, the left hip, then they're not internally rotating. And it looks like they're supinating their left foot as they turn left but actually all they're doing is inverting their left foot completely and their first metatarsal isn't sucking back down into the floor. So that's not a supination. So like that's a pattern that I can just see. And it's, it's incredibly easy for me to see that. And it's not because like, it's so important for me to state this and I state this in our workshops. It's not because I am in any way talented or smarter than anyone else listening to the podcast or in the workshop. It's just because I've looked for it more. I've looked at these patterns and I see these patterns more often. And so because I looked for them and because I now see them, I see them everywhere. So that's my pattern to start to see these things. Okay. So in our assessments, I, it's it's just a matter of getting some simple reps in with people and and this just becomes automatic as well another like weird example of this that i i was in a restaurant with one of our with two of our friends one day and a girl that came i came over that me and kira knew but our other friends i don't think they did know and this was a couple of years ago they didn't know her and she was just talking to us um the 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 girl and the guy came over the couple that we knew and um he was a he's a they, they knew who he was because he's a pretty big like hurling star in Ireland and his wife was there and they talked for two minutes and they left and the girl that was with us said she's pregnant guarantee you 100% she's pregnant and I was like how the hell do you know that how did you see that and she was like I don't know I just know and she this girl that was with us is a nurse and two months later turned out that that girl is pregnant uh she announced it yeah i'm pregnant blah 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 and i asked her i said that girl that we were with said that night that you were pregnant and she said i was only pregnant three weeks or i had only found out i had only found out that i was pregnant like the night before that's why we went out for dinner and um i was like three weeks pregnant or something like that at that stage and that the girl that was with me just knew and when i asked her how did you know she couldn't say how she knew she just said i know i guarantee you she's pregnant so like she is starting to notice things and that's just that's so basically what i'm trying to say is the human body is like is a predicting predictive machine it's predicting things based on what it's seen before and for you in your life you are you are your human body is predicting every single thing constantly. It's predicting is this going to be good or bad based on your past experiences and your future fears and all this stuff as well. So it's constantly predicting it. So that's why breaking out of your patterns and just breaking out of the predictions that are running along in the background that are actually running your life that you don't really realize it. Like, so travel is really important for breaking out of those things, talking to, um, talking to people who are like further along the journey of where you want to go they'll give you obvious things that you're like i fucking should have how did i not think of that but you didn't think of it because you couldn't think of it because it's not a thought that you had before if that makes sense because it's just there all of the it's 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 never been there so it's never going to be there your body won't even allow you to think that because it's functional cortical dominance it's it's neuro it's you thinking about the things that you're going to focus on. And my point of all this is that this is what your clients are doing. So you can't think about patterns of asymmetries in the human body without thinking of patterns of thought and uh, behavior and things like that. So really we're, we're trying to break these patterns or at least disrupt these patterns with your clients. And if you're just thinking about patterns of movement, then you won't be able to disrupt this stuff because patterns of thought and patterns of behavior and all of that stuff are as important or maybe more are probably more important to be honest so 
that's why your words are so important with your coaching that's why building a connection is so important with your coaching that's why understanding the asymmetries are important but it's more important to not understand okay 99% of people do this it's important to understand okay 99% of people do this because of this reason because their brain has been pulled and dragged in that way or is pushing them in that way so now i need to use i have certain skills and tricks that i can use to start to get them to focus on different parts and disrupt the pattern and start to change the predictive processing that's happening so again I don't know how valuable that answer is. It probably was all over the place again, but mm, at least I can get another podcast in the books and hopefully it was in some way helpful to you. So yeah, the patterns of asymmetry are really important to understand. But if you don't, basically, if you don't understand the patterns, the common patterns of asymmetry, it doesn't matter if you understand, if you understand the word patterns in general. If you understand patterns of asymmetry, but you don't understand the word patterns in general, then you're going to be in a bad place because you're just looking out for, oh, someone once said that everyone should have a right supinated foot. So why doesn't this person have a right supinated foot? Or maybe you're just see a right supinated foot when there isn't one. So you just have to understand the word patterns in general, I think. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that's helpful. And I'm going to go and do jujitsu now. I think I'm going to go to a class. Um, lots of people actually were asking me about jujitsu when I was in Sydney, and it went really well. I did two, I did two weeks of jujitsu in Sydney. Uh, I think ten classes in two weeks, and it was a little bit different to the classes in uh, the local gym here in Watford, just because I was kind of just thrown into like proper sparring or rolling at, at like halfway through the class, you're, you're doing your drilling and stuff. And then you get into, you get into rolling and pretty much everyone is rolling. You're just kind of paired up with someone roughly of your own level some of the time. So, um, that was my first taste of proper rolling, like just five minutes on the clock off you go. And honestly, that was so 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 tiring it was as tiring as my first i can remember my first senior championship game club uh, gaelic football first senior game uh, championship not like league or challenge but my first championship game my first big game i was blown after 20 minutes i was wrecked after 20 minutes um it, it was just so apparent to me after 20 minutes like this is a different level than what I've done before and in the jiu-jitsu like after five minutes of a roll I was I was struggling uh in a good way like I was blowing hard in a good way and I was making sure that like in general I was staying at around 70 percent of I won't say effort uh not effort I was trying hard but like maybe I don't know what the right word is but maybe like 70 percent aggression maybe that's the right word because um because, for example, if I was paired off with someone, sorry, I should say on, everyone was indifferent on, on the same level. They're not like most of them are like purple belts or blue belts or white belts who've been there a long time. Um, so, yeah, you're rolling with different people, but they know that you're like inexperienced and not very good at it. So they're going to look after you a little bit. But, for example, some of the time. I or all of the time, let's say, like. I was trying to go like 70%, not effort again, but like aggression. If, if That's probably not the right word. But like if there's a, a purple belt who is as big and as strong as me and obviously way more skillful than me, then the harder I push, like if, if he wants to do something to me, I'm of course I'm resisting, but I'm not resisting 100%. Actually, instead of aggression, resistance might be the percentage. So like 70% of resistance, that might be the word. Because I'm not resi resisting 100%. Because if I'm going 100%, he's going to have to go a lot stronger. And now I'm going to probably like hit the ground faster or roll faster and end up in a position that I'm not familiar with and I'm not maybe comfortable with and possibly get injured. And even if I don't get injured, I'm not going to learn anything because it's just me trying to like back against that person so i was going like 75 70 75 80 percent most of the time and that was working well i was learning a bit and i was able to feel my way through it and understand the positions that they were trying to maneuver me into and like even though i couldn't stop them necessarily a lot of the time or nearly all of the time i at least could learn 
okay, like that's a position that I don't want to get into again. And that was how he kind of got, I don't know exactly how he got there, but I can kind of figure out a little bit around how he got there. So I think for me, it was important to like not go too hard. Um, And also because my stubbornness would get in the way. And if I start really trying to like, if I'm like, okay, I'm going to get competitive here, then there is no end to that. And I will have to try and win. And I know I can't win against these people. So they will, they will, they will probably end up hurting me. And that would be my fault. But there was one day where I was, I was paired up with another white belt. And I think we were, it was, it, we were actually like almost the exact same size and weight. And I think we had been in, in around the same amount of classes. I hadn't seen him before, but he had said like, I've been doing this for four weeks or five weeks or something like that as well. So we were put together and we were like drilling for the first half of the class. And honestly, he was annoying me. He was like kind of wrecking my head. He was kind of telling me like, you should be doing this. You should be kind of doing, I'll try it this way. And not in a like, you can kind of, when you're with another white belt, you're both trying to figure it out a bit together. Like you can say, oh no, if you, when you squeeze that way, yeah, that's like, okay, now I feel the choke coming on. So it's not in that way. He was kind of annoying me. So we were paired together for the rolling then. And I fucking, yeah, I just got a bit stubborn and, uh, and he went for it like straight away with the rolling. So I, I absolutely bet the crap out of him. And, uh, I wasn't, um, I don't know that, 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 while that was like satisfying for me, I tapped him out like three times, not with any skill, but with just like pure, more like aggression, let's say, and like just being able to being used to manipulate my body and other people's bodies and like just just getting them in a, in, a, in a headlock or something like that so but I came away from that I was like oh that was really good like I won that fight and I'm absolutely wrecked after blah 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 and I showed that guy and then I was like hmm I actually learned zero from that role whatsoever um and that sorry that was like four or five minute rounds so like that is a long time and I learned pretty much nothing from it so i uh no i think it's important i don't know i don't know i must ask chris about this but like i think it's important to try and win i think like trying to win having that competitive nature is important but that won't get you very far like i I learned more from all the times i lost than like that one time that i quote unquote won so um and then i met him the following day and he was actually really nice now i don't know was he nice because he knew knew i could beat him or was he nice because he's actually just really nice and i misread the situation and i shouldn't have done what i did but uh i didn't hurt him or anything but like i just kind of made him suffer and that was I don't know. So that's, I'm going to jujitsu now soon. And I know that at least what I know going down there, like there's, there's no one that I can beat. So I can't do that. So I've gone back to my like 70% effort, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been really fun and I've been really enjoying learning something new and just being terrible at something. <laughs> and not that I'm, I'm terrible at a lot of things, but like extra terrible where you don't even have a choice, but to be terrible. Basically you can't even, you can't even trick yourself into thinking you're any good. So that's been quite, uh, that's been quite fun. And, um, and yeah, I'm struggling a little bit with the thoughts around like how often to do it, because for me, like, I think if, if you're, if something is worthwhile to do, you should do it every day, but my body, I don't know, like when I was training every day in Sydney, I was getting pretty fatigued. My forearms in particular were getting very, very fatigued. And I could see obviously how you could get injured quite quickly doing that. But I do feel like, like if you're, if you're trying to be good at learning about movement, like if you can't, if you can't even think about that for five minutes in a day, then are you really trying to be good or not? So that's a tricky one for me. But anyway, um, okay. That's going to be the end of the podcast. I have no idea how long that was. Hopefully, I think I feel like it was very long. Um, don't forget, of course, to jump on the Achilles program or the, sorry, I should say the foot and Achilles program. I think there's about 800 people doing it now. Um, four phases of, I think is like the, I, I've been, I've been just saying four phases of world-class lower leg training. Um, I really believe that. I think it's, if you listen to this podcast and you want, and you're trying to learn about movement and I, I really think it's a mistake not to buy the program and go through it. Um, you'll see how it's structured like from phase one through to phase two, where we start to build a bit more strength and coordination. Now I will just say like coordination and, um, 
really kind of bring the foot back to life again. Phase three, we start to build a lot of strength. People are struggling there quite a bit. And then phase four, like all the way through six different plyometric workouts. So honestly, I believe I, I really have, I really think it's a really, really solid, more than solid, really good program. It's going to help. It's already helping a ton of people. And if you want to learn about movement, which obviously you do, because you listen to the end of this uh, ramble of a podcast, then that is a, uh, that is a, an absolute must in my opinion. So I'll drop the link down below for that as well. And uh, apart from that, I hope you somewhat enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you did, maybe you can share it or let me know because I have no idea. So um, please give it a share or drop me. A, I'd love to see, see a message saying it was good or it was bad or it was whatever. And, um, and yeah, uh, I will talk to you guys next time. Take care.